It's time for the Orlando Lions Den Podcast with your hosts, JJ, Eddie, Cleon, and Alex Brown. another edition of Orlando Lions Den podcast. Uh, we got a special interview today with Orlando City B uh, general manager, new general manager, and the Orlando City Development Academy director, Mr. Mike Patempa. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule. We know it's hectic. We just did a tour with you, and it's uh, quite the facility that you guys here have here, so I can only imagine how how your schedule must be. Uh, but if you can, obviously we have a lot of listeners who are interested to know more about you, uh, explain how you got here, where you're from, and kind of tell us how you impact Orlando City now. Sure. Well, again, my name is Mike Patempa, and uh, I've been at Montford Academy now eight years, going on eight and a half, coming in January. I started in 2010 as a role simply as a, uh, I was actually starting as an English teacher. I started in, teaching English 7th and 8th grade after I left Clemson University, where I was an assistant coach in the ACC there on the men's side for eight years. Seven years, sorry. And uh, my roles here at Montverde Academy have changed over the course of eight years to where after I was a teacher for two or three years, I then became the athletic director for three and a half years. And then we began the SEMA program, which stands for Soccer Institute at Montverde Academy in 2013. Um and uh, my whole life, I've been a soccer guy, um, soccer guy through and through. I I love sports, but soccer is my favorite. Uh, I played for the youth national team since I was 13. Uh, I played at Clemson University in the ACC. I was drafted in 2001 to the LA Galaxy, but my body just uh, ran out of steam, too many injuries, and I had to, to quit, which then I got into coaching. So throughout uh, the course of my career, I've always been into soccer at the highest level in this country as a player. Uh, then I went in the ACC and coached in uh, at Clemson with uh, Trevor Adair, where I played for seven years, and then I came here. And we started the Soccer Institute in 2013, and the idea being to provide a safe atmosphere for kids who come from around the world, uh, around the United States, that want to get a top-class independent education and also train at the highest level in the hopes that we may produce certain talents that can play at the highest levels of college soccer because the goal at that time for me was – you know, college soccer is is not as easy as many kids think, and a lot of times they're not prepared to go into college soccer. And here we give them more of a college soccer experience, training, discipline, education, demands. Um, so they go in and not only sign an NLI to go to a Division One college, but they go in and they play right away. And that was the initial goal in 2013 to really prepare them for what I knew they needed to play at the highest levels. Um and then that kind of spun off um, when uh, Ian Fuller, who was actually my roommate uh, at Clemson University, he was a former uh, coach here at OCB and actually the USL, sorry, when it was Orlando City USL, 
And he called me one day about uh, a boy by the name of Omar Diakite, who was from Senegal. He was on trial. Uh, they weren't really uh, too interested in keeping him, but they wanted to kind of keep him around to keep an eye on him. And and we put him into this system of Montverde Academy where he's a full-time student. Um, he learned English in six months. Uh, he was a big monster, six foot two athletic specimen, but technically needed work. And in just eight months here, he transformed tremendously. And long story short, now he he's uh, playing in the Premier League of Portugal. And when I saw that and how a talented athlete could come into this model at Montverde Academy with a combination of academics, residential life, and athletics, then I said, we can do the same thing we've been doing for college uh, preparation for the professional side. And here we are in 2018 where we have 204 boys in the SEMA program. Um, we have a direct relationship, uh, working relationship with Orlando City where the Development Academy is training here now with our staff where there are six teams. Uh, OCB is about to begin, and since then we've produced over 250 boys that go on to college soccer, uh, including right now Bruno Lapa, who is just National Player of the Week, Benji Michel, who has nine goals in nine games, and Andre Shinyashiki, who has 19 goals in nine games, all came from here. And uh, and 29 professionals playing in USL, playing in MLS, and playing in Europe. So the model works. Uh, the development model of holistic approach works. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really excited about the next opportunity here with OCB on the campus in addition to everything working in the same line of development for the first team. Perfect. Yeah, so can I ask you, too, um, we went on the tour. You had some great some great numbers for us. Uh, 1,300 students, 91 different countries represented here uh, at Montferrat Academy. Uh, you guys play 26 different sports. Um, but but most importantly, you have 365 people, kids that live on campus here. And, and yes. I'm sure some of those are soccer players. But a lot of our listeners and, and I think Orlando City fans in general want to know what the process is. Like, what where does it start? Where does the process even start to bring a kid over from, say, Senegal or Brazil, you know, and, and, and get him on over to Montverde Academy and, and to get him going. How do you how do you start that process? Where does that come from from your end? Yeah, from the SEMA side, um, I can speak where I actually go out around the world and I travel to these places and I preach education and sport because in, in countries like Brazil or in countries uh, in Africa, the only thing that's focused on is the sport. And unfortunately, just the odds of, of making it to the highest level where you can make a living are very small. And, you know, my mission, I believe, is to promote education and sport together. And many people just don't know that this opportunity exists. If you're in Brazil and you don't speak English, how am I supposed to go to school in the U.S.? But when you tell them you have an English second language program, then that makes a lot more sense. And so a kid from, I was telling you guys a little bit earlier, where we've had two kids this year, very successful stories. One came from Costa Rica and Diego Campos. Diego came here for two years, learned English, graduated, got a full scholarship to Clemson, and is now a first-team pro at Chicago Fire. Whereas if he was in Costa Rica and he was playing for Saprissa, maybe he's playing, maybe he's not. We don't know. You know, Rafael Santos was with Flamengo as a youth. You know, he didn't have any opportunities because they released him when he was 16. He came here for two years, learned English, graduated, got a full scholarship to VCU, and just got drafted by the uh, D.C. United. So, um, you know, I do a lot of traveling. I do a lot of preaching of education and, 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 and uh, sports combined. I have a lot of relationships with schools around the world where, again, uh, 
my mission isn't just trying to get kids here. It's trying to provide an opportunity for kids who have an interest in this. And of course, for our highest level boys, yes, we're looking for elite level talent, but also good people. So um, the process really feeds off itself once people come here and they have a good experience in the word of mouth. We do a lot of uh, tra- our dean of admissions does a lot of traveling or other uh, other people in campus responsible for enrollment purposes travel around the world. Uh, and the idea is to live out our mission of diversity because we believe heavily in it and, uh, you know, try to link the world into one place uh, through education. Now, not everyone here is an athlete. We have a fine arts building that's very uh, is very well invested in. We have um, a lot of uh, other sports, of course. We have music. We have all kinds of different things um, going on at the same time. So not everyone comes here for sports. 365 borders between males and females. The, the percentage of athletes, I'm not sure, but we have kids from all walks of life, 91 different countries with different languages here to study and practice whatever it is they want to practice, whether it be music, whether it be uh, media arts, journalism, sports, whatever the case may be. Cleon, anything? Yeah. Um, question. We, we recently spoke with like Alex Lightsow, and he was, before we even went on air, he was basically raving about you and you know this partnership um how how did that come about was this was it like a long was it a long thing that took it took a while to develop to get to that point or or was it you know just a shorter shorter thing it just popped up no i i've been i've been in the same market right from the beginning when they first came i can remember ian fuller again my 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 good friend called me and asked me what Orlando was like because they were thinking about moving the franchise to Orlando to be a USL affiliate. And he was actually asking, yeah, he was asking me what the life was like, how is it, you know. And, you know, I was there from the beginning and and I was not involved with Orlando City, but of course, you know, Phil Rollins, when he was originally introducing himself into the area, he was in my office. We talked about some ideas. Of course, we had a working relationship with Omar. We helped them with some PDL players for the summer. Um, and, and over the course of time, we've always been kind of there and working. But uh, I would say the relationship really started to get close over the past two years. Uh, Flavio has his, both of his sons here going to school. Um, and, you know, he made our commencement speech, I think it was two or three years ago. And that's when it really started to get closer and sharing ideas. Um, he, of course, has kept touch on, on, uh, what we're doing over here, over here from a soccer perspective. We played some friendly matches against the first team with our kids where he's been present. So he sees kind of the progress. And of course, you know, over the course of time, when you have conversation, you start talking about youth development and some of the changes he was looking to bring in when, you know, he, he wanted to kind of implement what they were doing at Benfica when he brought Armando Conedo in and kind of see how that would work. And so uh, we've always been around, um, but over the course of two years, it kind of got closer. And then we finally solidified something to start with our U15, 17s and 19s at the DA level in January. That That's awesome. Um, we, we have a couple of questions here regarding the framework. Um the question being, what is the framework being put in place to avoid the mistakes that were made with the original OCB? Like, how is this going to be different? I think the focus of the club and is, is a shift in organization from the top as to what they want to get out of OCB and eventually their DA. Uh, I don't think, you know, you can say that there were mistakes made before. I think it's a different type of uh, system. Whereas before, OCB was used for players who maybe need to get more minutes from the first team. You know, they weren't playing regular first team games and they would put them in OCB to get some minutes. Or somebody was coming off of injury and they wanted them to get, as 
part of their return to play protocol. They would put him into OCB to get back. I think now uh, leadership has uh, sort of made the decision that they want to believe more in youth and they want to realign their DA and use OCB more as a developmental platform for the first team. And I think uh, it's a good one. I agree with it. And I think the shift in model will be more so, whereas we have the entire DA from 11 years old all the way up to 18 years old and OCB on the same campus working in the same line of development with younger players. Because uh, if you notice so far in four years, there haven't been many academy players making it into the first team. No, not at all. And I think it's really because if you have a DA that is working in different directions and you have OCB for first team players who aren't playing, then the question becomes, how do you develop from your academy if you're not continuing the path of development through their, when they're ready? So our concept really is to provide the best youth development academy here with the best coaches, have a residential component. So that means that we're able to recruit from around the country, around the world, to bring in kids to our school, which get an excellent education, but then work in one line of development. And then our top of the pyramid of development is OCB. So OCB is no longer sort of the, the second team of professional soccer. It's the top of the youth pyramid. And there's a big difference in that thought to where all of our kids are fighting to play professional soccer at OCB. And we aren't afraid to play a 15-year-old. We aren't afraid to sign a 16 or 17-year-old if we think that legitimately he has ability to play for the first team one day. Because what these kids need at 16 or 17 is they need to be challenged. They need to feel that they're they're, it, it's a little too much for them at the beginning because once they get used to that at 18, they're used to first-team football against adults. And so what happens is most times people don't want to take that risk because they're afraid of losing. And, you know, we've had many conversations with the leadership, Alex and, and Flavio, to where they've said many times to me, we will never be down in your office uh, if OCB never wins a championship. And I said, well, that's my goal too, but I agree with you. They should be down in my office if they every year aren't looking at three to four potential talents that we've developed for the first team. And this is the goal. So if we develop one or two talents to put into the first team, it's a major success for the work that's being done. Because a lot of times before, uh, they were putting a lot of investment into the DA and the kids would just go on to university and, and get lost somewhere in the fold. And so then when you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, why am I investing in the youth when they go on to college and we may never see them again. Whereas here, if we're investing in our youth and I mean, they're paying for flights to Philadelphia this weekend, they're paying for the kids boots, they're paying for the training. Uh, we need to capitalize on that and start putting them in a professional environment when they're ready and risk playing with young players and competing at the hopes that at 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, the first team has many, many options from OCB all the way down through the Academy to sign for the first team. Great. So that, that's that's awesome to hear. And one of the questions was always, what was the pathway? Like at what point there seems to be a perception of division? Like what is SEMA? What is the OCDA? And what is OCB? Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just kind of all one now. It's what we're kind of learning, right? Correct. Correct. It's all one. So, you know, there's differences in SEMA. SEMA is for kids that go to Montverde Academy. Okay. So those are kids that have they're, they're enrolled in the school. They go to school here every day, and they're part of our SEMA program, Holistic Approach to Development. Not every kid from the DA has to come to Montverde. It's the parent choice, the family choice, wherever they want to go to school. The DA is where we have tryouts. We select the very, very best players we can. 
99% are all Americans because most of the kids in SEMA right now are internationals and they can't play in the DA until they're 18. So the DA is basically we've had tryouts for every age group. Um, we pick the best players we can that th we think have potential down the way. And then, of course, OCB is whatever players we think can be first-team players. That may mean that maybe this year there's only two or three we want to sign that we think out of the academy have first-team potential. Maybe we see a kid in college we think is ready. Maybe we know of an international kid that I've seen in Cameroon that's ready to come over here now. Um, so it's not necessarily only the academy kids going in OCB. We are going to believe in our academy. We are going to give those who deserve it and have the, the potential and ability to play OCB. Um, but we're using everything in line together to combine resources, to combine facilities, to combine education, and combine talents to produce the best talent that Orlando City can have. So the internationals um, aren't able to go into the DA until they're 18 years Correct. old. But it, so is there a situation where like Orlando City could – one of the international studs is – you brought him over at 15, he's 16 and a half, and he's ready to go. You know, how would Orlando City be able to get him to play for OCB in that case? To sign him right right there? I mean, being no. under 18? Or, or is no. there any it's, way for them to do that? It's against FIFA law to sign any player, any player playing on a different continent until they're 18 years old. Okay. So what we do, what we were doing before, and we plan, I have a meeting with James O'Connor tomorrow morning, is discuss for those that we think can be high, high-level players that are here now, how can we get them into the environment? Because part of this is education, is learning what it means to be a pro, being around professionals, being in a professional environment of training. We were doing this a lot with Jason Christ where you know I would bring six, six, seven guys over there and they would join the first team. We had two guys go to first team preseason in Jacksonville for 10 days with the team. So, you know, there are ways you can be creative and get them into the environment to get another level of education other than what they see here. Um, you know, sometimes we travel with the groups and we play other professional teams, other professional teams come here, but it's important that they get to know the club, they get in to get to know the coach and it's our job to prepare them, to bring them over, to join training. We play against their first team. Sometimes our kids here in a closed door match. So there's several activities you can do over the course of time to bring them up to that point where they're 18. And then the club has to make a decision if it's something they're interested in or not. So at 17 and, and clubs like this is a guy that we have to have, it's basically just a waiting game at that point. And that's why we have to have a very solid program here to make sure they're training properly to be prepared when they come. Keep advancing. So this is a place that you can take those international studs that really, I, I think now I'm starting to put all together, as you mentioned us on the walk, you know, like Manchester United or, or Barcelona, they they can't even do this at all. You know, where they don't have the, the, the uh, infrastructure where they can go to Senegal and pick out a 15-year-old kid and bring him back, you know, and have him play not only in their academy, but also... Just you know, just to, to scout them, you guys have kind of figured out a way to like place a haven here for for these kids. Well, the the, the one thing that I always say is that these kids are legitimately here, one hundred percent coming to get their education. I mean, these kids are in not only ten months of school, like they're in eleven and a half months of school. So in the summer times, they're still going to classes. You know, I make them go to school. So in June, <laughs> they're going to full time school for six hours a day. In July, half of July, they're going to school. Um, because I firmly believe in building their lives through education. And all of these kids are in full-time enrollment. They're taking full-time classes six, seven hours a day. We have academic expectations where if they're not living up to their academic expectations, they don't train. Um, you know, and we've made decisions where kids aren't good fit academically that don't, don't need to be here. So, you know, 
I wouldn't say, you know, we look at it through an academic perspective. I look at it through an academic perspective because that's what we are as a school. When you're able to, you know, uh, have a talent high enough to where he can be full-time enrolled in school and when he's finished, move on to a professional team, that's icing on the cake. So, you know, it's not so much we're doing this for athletic purposes. We're doing this because, yeah, they may have talent, but we also need to help them because there's much more to being a professional than being good on the field. They have to be intelligent people. Responsibility uh, is very high in what they're trying to do and what, what they want to do. And it's our job as educators to try to allow them to reach their dreams. Okay. Uh, one question as far as the pathway goes. So in like a perfect world, um, if you recruit a kid, if you have a kid come in from, let's say, a 15-year-old 15, 15 mm-hmm. from, you know, international, and he comes in, he comes through SEMA, and you've identified him as this kid has pro talent if he stays along this path. So would it be uh, his first year he's, he's in SEMA, second he's in SEMA, up until he reaches 18 and then possibly move him or enlist him to the DA and then to OCB? Could be. Or OC, OCSE? Be, or he can go direct. Because, yes, but I was thinking, uh, I guess because after a while you would run out of you know, the international spots and all that type of deal. But I know with the homegrowns, what they classify as homegrowns, even if the kid's international, um, as long as they came up through the academy for that year or whatever, they don't count. Mm-hmm. Um, so You have to play is, a year in the academy to be exactly. considered homegrown. So in a perfect world, is that the way it would go? So then we're able to kind of skip around that little loophole <laughs> as far as like uh, international spots and all the type of thing. Yeah. And, and, and this is a very complicated uh, concept because, you know, part of development, which not many people really understand unless you see it is a kid can be very talented, but when they leave their family or they leave their country and they don't understand anything, they can never be good as good as they should be on the field. Because there's too much going on in their head. I mean, imagine if if you just picked up and went to China and you have to figure out how the food, the language. I don't understand what anyone's telling me. The coach, I don't understand what he's telling me. It's a whole new – so it's always the same. When kids come here at 16, the first six months, I don't expect anything from soccer-wise. Because there's too much going on in their head. They're missing their parents or they're missing home. They don't, they're frustrated and they don't want to tell you. They don't like the food. Uh, school is very demanding for them. Their time is stressful. And, and you see this, this is just human development. You know, you see some of the players that people would expect to come into MLS and destroy things, and they don't. Why? It's because of a different culture. It's a different language. It's different things. And there's a lot of words. Exactly. About that at I mean, that age. you know, so here's a 19 year old, he's a boy. He doesn't understand English. So put yourself in his shoes and now put him in front of 28,000 people with pressure on the line. You know, I firmly believe that in year two, you'll see a lot better because he's used to the culture. He's used to the climate. He's used to the language. He's getting understanding of how this thing works. Um, But we see that here. So the first year is really just get to know what's going on. Then after one year, when they return or they stay here, they're used to me. They're used to facilities. They're used to the food. They're used to the people, the rhythm. And now their football starts to really take off. Once they get to 18, you can do a variety of things. If Nikki and James think that they're good enough for the first team. They can sign them. Um, if they think that he's close, we discuss that and we sign him for OCB. He plays one year. I reevaluate. If he's ready, they take him. If he needs another year, we take we take another year. Or we put him in the academy because one of the things that the kids aren't used to, we don't play official games with these kids. So imagine we produce 29 pros without playing any official matches. 
So there's a big difference between playing a match against Orlando City's first team and playing a match against Orlando City's first team with 28,000 people and three points on the line. The mental side of being able to deal with pressure is what I see a lot to where when they start playing games with points, their performance goes down again because they're, they're nervous. They don't know what to do. They don't want to handle it. So that's where the academy comes involved. They're able to handle the next step, which is playing games for three points, competing for a championship. Then the next step maybe is OCB. Then they get a chance to playing with crowd, traveling, playing against men, playing against older players. And then maybe 1920, they're ready to go as a first team player. No, that's awesome. And one of the questions that we had was about balancing, you know, the patience for talented players. We've seen some young players that have come through um, that haven't quite lived up. Like Josue Corman's been been an interesting first year, a lot of different dynamics. But we've seen people like Tyler Turner and other people who, when they got up to from USL to MLS, their, their performance kind of dipped. Do you think you guys seem to have that in mind you guys thinking long term to yes. kind of help prevent that, basically, yes. right? Yes, I agree. Uh, you know, the idea being, though, and I was talking to you guys as we were walking around, it starts, believe it or not, with 10-year-olds. Because if you can start working properly with 10-year-olds in the line, and once it gets going after five, six years, then you have year after year consistent talent with the right behavior and the right attitude coming. Because before going from the DA to MLS, that's a huge jump. You know, even going from DA to college to MLS, as you see, is a huge jump because the college kids are playing three and a half months a year. If you calculate that across four years, they're playing one year of soccer in four. They have one year of playing and three years off. And so then we're expecting them to come in and destroy MLS the way they did in college. It's not it's not a, a fair comparison. So the idea being with us is if we start working younger and we start doing the right thing every year and putting them in competition and also have SEMA to be able to complement with the competition standpoint, then all of a sudden you're, you're making a, a little bit of a different model and you have the U19s to play if you need it to another year of competition. OCB if they're ready to go or the first team if they're ready to go or if – they're ready to go, and after OCB, maybe you know if Dom Dwyer is your striker, for example, and we have a very good striker OCB that needs to move on, maybe he goes to Europe. You know, maybe they sell him to Europe. Maybe they sell him to another MLS team. Maybe they sell him to another USL team. And so there's revenue coming into the club. Um, there's a lot of possibilities with this model as you build it from from the youth. And touching on the youth, just to kind of give an insight to our listeners, Cleon and I are walking around uh, with Mike the entire doing the, the amazing tour and you see these 10 12 14 year old kids that are coming up to you and give you a firm handshake like you're about to go into a business interview you know and we're after like the fourth or fifth kid that gave us a firm handshake we're kind of going clean are looking at each other going wow this is this is kind of awesome and mike looks at us and goes yeah you know that's what we teach our kids so yeah, to, to me i kind of want to turn this into a question i mean what do you obviously you value the little things you know can you kind of explain to our listeners the the the, the little things that you do value things like handshakes or things like being on time to practice or, or doing your schoolwork you know how do you value those and how do you get it across to the players that those are the most valuable things at that age as as coaches you know we are the ultimate educators because um we are supposed to we have the duty to teach them the right things at a young age and actually it's our job to provide the best version of each kid we have so one day the first team can can benefit from it and so i believe in what what i call as a holistic approach and people say that as kind of a buzzword but what does that mean to me that means that every single piece of each kid's life matters to me 
it matters to me how they do in school. I get great reports every two weeks on the kids at Montverde, and for sure, if they're not doing well, I take them out of practice. It matters to me how they treat other people on campus. It matters to me how they operate around campus with respect. It matters what they do on their cell phones with Facebook, Instagram, and all these things. If I see things that are out of line, they're in my office because I don't like it. Um, it matters how they treat visitors. You know, It matters to me how they behave on the field um, because too many times it's only about the soccer. It's only how does how many goals did he score, how many games he played in, you know, where are we in the league? And that's fine, but you're not setting that kid up for success in terms of what it is to be a professional because professional needs to be as good as he can be on the field and also as good as he can be off the field because um and and that, and that has to start at a young age. So, yes, we we tell kids you must shake hands with people that you see that you don't know and welcome them to campus. You must say hello. We teach them how to shake hands. We teach them how to look people in the eye. You know, we teach them you need to tuck your shirt in at practice, you know, and how to watch after your equipment and clean up after practice. Because this is part of the entire if you're if you're paying attention to all the little details and putting a focus on it of development, then your results on the field and in the future will be that much higher. If you're only worried about where you are in the table, then all of a sudden you could be national champions. But if you have a bunch of people that don't respect, the first team isn't going to be interested. And, and so then you failed as a coach because you did not pay attention to what really matters. So when we talk about developing, developing isn't always winning. Developing is producing people that have a talent that can make it at the next level. So, you know, our job with OCB is much the same. Of course, we're as competitive as we possibly can be. We want to win every game. We want to win a championship. That's a given. But what's more important than anything is if one day we're able to celebrate somebody that maybe came through our system, got an education, uh, trained under our staff, and is playing downtown, and I can turn on the TV at night and watch Orlando City with one or two of our guys on the field, this is the ultimate goal for all of us. Cleon, anything? Yeah, um, you really have – you. I mean, there's there's one thing we noticed when we got here. There's, there's a lot of organization here. Like, it's very organized. It's very detail-oriented. Um, where did you – was this something that you just knew this is how things had to be? Or was there, is there, like, a certain um, maybe ex-coach, ex-program or anything that you were in before that gave you these foundations? I've learned on the fly. And the ultimate experience of being thrown in the fire and have to figure it out, you know. And, and as the as these things started to continue to work, it's been a constant game of figuring out what works. And what this program, with the speed we're operating, what worked six months ago doesn't work anymore. And, you know, in staff included. You know, sometimes we bring in a staff member that we think has these set of skills. But eight months later, we need that person to do something they may not be capable of. You know, and that was one of the big reasons why I wanted uh, Tony Hernandez for the, the director of methodology you met from Valencia. Yeah, amazing. He he is very structured. He's He's been working at the world-class level in La Liga, and his job was to produce professionals for the first team. And many of the players he was mentioning to you before, they're selling for 20, 30, 40, 50 million, 80 million dollars. Wow. And, and, you know, and this is how it works the rest of the world. Because if you look at, you know, MLS across the board, it's getting better now, but very few teams are playing with young players. But if you look at the rest of the world, these players are playing at 17, 18, 19 years of age. And then his question is, what's the difference? You know, is it a difference in philosophy? Is it a difference in quality? Is it a difference in developmental systems? Because I can tell you, in seven, if you're 17 and 18 in Brazil and you're not in the first team, you don't have a future there. 
uh, here, you know, I have I have European scouts coming in looking at players, and they want to see you with 15 and 16 year olds. But MLS guys are saying, oh, 18 is so young, I don't know, you know. Cool. Yeah, and there's a big difference in mentality. And so we've had to learn, you know, kind of on the fly as things grow. But what's challenging every day, and we go through this all the time, is it's a constant changing animal because – and we haven't even started with OCB yet. So when OCB comes involved, that changes the dynamic of the staff. It changes the dynamic, dynamic of the, the expectation. And every expectation from SEMA, Montverde, all, is the highest of the high. So you can't let down your guard in one area or another as you build because otherwise it won't function. And so it's a constant organizational shift. It's a constant discussion, figuring out what works, what doesn't, and making decisions and going for it and see how, how, it, how it comes out. Now, it, the perception was that um, with the there was a per, I guess a lack of investment in OCDA b- before there wasn't a clear path, right? So the team had the perception that there there wasn't enough investment there, and we were behind or lagging. You guys are, are have such a great track record of success, so that I think it's great that we're partnering with you guys. But what is o- Orlando City themselves adding to your current infrastructure? that you guys already have? Well, I can tell you that Orlando City is paying for the entire DA operation. They are heavily investing in their DA teams. Um, They're heavily investing in their coaches, um, which we have. Um, And it's really a combination of resources where we can add some things that maybe they didn't have before. For example, you know, before if they found a kid in a, a, a territory that was unguarded, what do they do with him? How do they bring him here, you know? And I think that was a Pierre de Silva discussion where he came from New York or something. But that's not easy to do if you don't have somewhere to put him that's a stable for a young kid. Here we offer a residential component. You know, we offer a school, an independent school. We offer facilities. You know, they are paying for the operation. So it's a mutual investment on both sides. But I would say Orlando City and the ownership is very, very much invested in this because it's not – you know, it's not cheap to run a DA academy. You know, you're dealing with flights, you're dealing with hotels, you're dealing with trainings, you're dealing with equipment, shoes. Uh, you know, these guys are playing 10 months of the year, buses to Miami, all kinds of stuff. You know, a lot of investment in their youth. I think now it's a little bit different because they actually are investing in their youth and they see the light at the end of the tunnel, what could come in return, which is a first-team player. And so I think that, you know, also they're investing heavily in OCB. You know, the rest investing heavily in the OCB idea because they believe that the model will work in what it's supposed to is producing first-team talents. Is there any MLS academy you guys take any kind of um, ideas from or kind of model after or, or think is doing a, a good job? There are, there are many MLS academies out there doing a good job. They have some residential components. Some of them have school partnerships. I would say that we are unique in that we're a school. And that's a real big difference is that, you know, I know Philadelphia has their own school, but it's a Philadelphia Union school. Um, You know, there are some other academies out there that have a quasi-school, online school, and it's a microcosm of what we're doing here. But we're a full-blown, independent, accredited school that it's unique because you have the staff in the school. So what's unique about it is that, you know, a guy like myself, I don't only think in soccer. And most, most people in soccer only think in soccer. And sometimes the education isn't maybe as good as it should be or could be. The discipline maybe isn't as good as it could be because they're concerned about the results on the field and this. So I would say that we're rather – I would say we're probably the most unique uh, setup in the country in the fact that you can – when you come here, you don't feel soccer. You feel school. You feel different different things. You feel uh, – 
investment in, in facilities other than just soccer. Now, soccer is, of course, you see fields and things like that. But, you know, when you go to, for example, an academy school, you feel only soccer, only. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we're different. It's a different model. I like it because it, it, it really allows us to put them in this culture of success, of high demand, of other sports, other kids. They're interacting with other kids from around the country, they're around the world that aren't sportsmen, that aren't. They're there for music, and they're learning from that. So this holistic approach is a lot more effective in this environment than, say, maybe where you're going to school with only soccer players and that's all that you're there or there yeah one of the things i picked up on when we were walking around especially you know we went in the cafeteria and stuff like that is um if like even we, we i had said like even if they had built a residential academy on you know the new property and whatnot if they were to you know get like known up is that culture that i was seeing here that's it would not have been there and the fact that these kids could go and and they can go and train and, and learn soccer, but then still get their time away from soccer and still be a kid. But they are also around like-minded kids that are professionals, um, even though they're in high school. Every kid I'm seeing, they're, they're, they're like training like professionals. And like you said, even if it's not sports, the, the musicians or the artists or this, it's, it's the same mentality that's, that's needed. It's a professional mentality, yeah. and everyone here has it. And yeah. um, something else you, you pointed out is OCB is actually going to also be in this community and, and, and going to stay on campus as well? Yes. Yes, we have uh, residents for the OCB players, which in, uh, I will require them to live on campus because it's very important that when you're developing young professionals, you're also controlling every single piece of their life on and off the field and teaching them right from wrong. If you And we did this a little bit with PDL because we had a PDL franchise the past two summers. When you have them here, it's fine. But then when they go in their cars and they go, you don't know what they're doing. You don't know where they're going. You don't know who they're hanging out with. And that I don't like to be in that position when you're trying to teach. Now, once they're a first-team player, they have their own lives and stuff that they should know right from wrong and be responsible at that point. But in this developmental stage with the age groups we're talking about between 16 and 22 or 23 they're still in their formative years that we need to be able to to work with them and develop them properly so um, there's a tremendous education in going to school and you're in a class of 20 kids and one kid's from China one kid's from Bermuda one kid's from Jamaica one kid's from Seattle and another kid's from Senegal uh, just interacting with those people, the different cultures and the different conversations is, is an education in of itself. So, you know, it is, again, very powerful when you're going to school, not just with all soccer players or all basketball players, but, you know, the soccer players are watching the basketball players on ESPN and Ben Simmons is dunking for Montverde and now he's, you know, the the, the number one draft pick. R.J. Barrett will be the next number one draft pick and uh, Francisco Lindor is on TV playing for the Cleveland Indians and comes back to campus. It's a family feel. And that's why we always say La Familia, if you notice on our posts, is because yes. we believe that this is more than just a soccer program. It's a family. And we have guys, you know, there's a boy that was here, I think, 2011, who's a very famous musician in Europe now. He's a rapper that came from the soccer program. Alex Onyebunam. He goes by Reggie Snow. But uh, funny story with him, I learned as a coach. You know, he wasn't the greatest of students. He was around C, and his dad put him here from Ireland. He's a Nigerian-Irish guy. Put him here and, you know, wanted me to mentor him. So uh, <laughs> I got his grade report. He got C's and D's. I brought him into my office. You know, I gave him the whole, you know, you think music's going to get you this far? And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, you think you're going to be a musician? You know, what are the chances of that? You need to work on your education. This. 
Two weeks later, I get an email from the head of school. Actually, it was the dean of students at that time. And, and the, the, the head of the email said, is this real? And I read the email and it says, dear so-and-so, it was the headmaster, uh, we would like to invite Mr. Alex and Yebunam on a lunch uh, lunch date next Wednesday, whatever the date may be, from 2 o'clock to 4. We appreciate if you could get out of school. We'll be flying in for the afternoon, uh, Elton John's management team. And I was what? like, you got to no be kidding way. me. And truthfully, they came down. They took him out. He's he's selling out shows in Europe as a rapper. And from then on, I told myself, I can never say that you know you can't do something that you're really passionate about. His, his YouTube I, videos have millions of hits. I know who this and, guy is. I've yeah, seen him yeah. before. I, yeah. I know who he is. He, he, he came from Onverd. He was a great <laughs> soccer player. He was a fantastic winger, but he loved music. And, uh, you know, he had a full ride to any high school. He dropped out after six months and pursued music. It's good for him. You know, he's, 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 uh, He's a famous uh, rapper in Europe, so I learned my lesson that day. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that. That teacher, uh, Michael Jordan's teacher, said, "You know, I'm never going to make money in basketball." Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Be careful what you say. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, now the, the club had been talking a lot about culture, and then James O'Connor is always re- reiterating culture, culture, culture. Right? You guys seem to have that down pat. So that I think that that's great. They're kind of piggybacking on that, and I honestly think I don't want it to come down from the top down. I kind of want your culture because you guys have a culture of winning to go up. You know, if that if that sounds if that sounds you know wrong, but I mean that's what you, that's, you guys know what I mean. Yeah. But but um, have you, are you tasked or like are they asking you to change anything for the first team, or you just kind of have full no. reign? No, really? I'm I'm only involved in the youth. Yeah. Um, you know, the interaction between the first team and the youth sector, which is us, is conversations on how we can improve our system to producing first team professionals. So, you know, I have a meeting tomorrow with James O'Connor. We're going to discuss, you know, how we're going to work together because, you know, I've I've not, I've only met with him once. I went to training, um, but, you know, he's got a lot of things going on that he, he has his attention to. And, and I'm respecting that. But I think tomorrow morning we'll get together and discuss more on he needs to understand, too, about what our capability is. What's what what is our plan for the D.A.? How is OCB going? Because he played for the USL team when he was yeah, here. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a different model. And, you know, uh, we're only here to service him in terms of the first team decisions. That all goes down to Nikki Budulich and, and James O'Connor and those guys. They make the decisions and, and we're here to support those decisions well ocb it felt like because they were essentially there to just give minutes for the first team they had to play a certain style they had to play certain people it, even stylistic wise did they have to play a certain way or each your job just to make them just- we haven't had that conversation yet because i think that you know james taking over halfway through i'm not even so sure that he's had a chance to really implement the style that he may want to play because he's adopting a group of players that you know are are in transition in the middle of the year. Um, we will have those conversations as to how he feels about that. I do believe, you know, we are working in one line here from the youth model. So, you know, we believe in developing players in a certain way of training in a certain system of play to make them make decisions and understand how to play multiple systems. But, you know, we will be having those conversations on how to bridge that gap because but it's our job is to develop them so they're ready for the first team. And, and that's a little bit different model than uh, the first team, how they, you know, when you develop a player – he can't be so stringent in one specific way all the time, but you have to also be able to teach him many things. So in case, you know, a kid from us is a right winger and he goes in and James wants to see him as a right back, he's got to be able to be able to handle both right away. Otherwise, we're not doing our job. And so there are a lot of conversations like this we need to figure out how we're going to work together. You know, one of the things I think people were asking is what happens with the kids who are the guys on the team who may be coming off injury or need minutes. And, and you know, it's not to necessarily go to play for OCB, 
I can put on the kids in a, in a bus and we go over and play a closed door 90 minute match and they'll get they'll get a good game yeah. you know and there's ways that you can work together like we were doing a lot with Jason Christ um, in that in that regard of having players at practice going over to play games you know these types of things to be able to how to how do we bridge everything together so we're one functioning program you guys were playing with well, some of the people who didn't get minutes you guys were playing full 90 minutes against yes. them right yes. after the game after the game like like the Sunday or the next day after yes right? yes he would call and and uh, say you know, I, I can you. Well, we would have it set up before, where you know, on a on a Sunday Sunday morning at eight, we're going to play sixty minutes. You know, thirty minutes. I'm going to give these guys in thirty minutes. I need this for these guys, and so our job is to say, okay, you know, the the thirty minutes here, we need to give this level of competition. The thirty minutes here, we need to give this level of competition based on what he's needing. So if he says, look, you know, I have a bunch of guys I'm going to play forty minutes, for example, and they're guys that haven't played. I need a, an intense match as much as you can give them. Fine. These guys are played maybe 30, 40 minutes, so I need a little bit of intensity, but not so much, so I know what to put on again. So we're helping each other manage the, the, the players. That's something that will continue if, if you, got, you O'Connor wants that, I guess? Yes. I mean, uh, uh, we're, full, we're here fully to support whatever it is he needs to be successful. That's awesome. I mean, one thing I wanted to, to kind of – I'm wrapping my head around is the, the whole education and residency part is such an advantage because I think worldwide, world football, soccer – Probably the worst sport in regards to education. I mean, you see a lot of these rules were were because people were getting kids from Africa and other countries at 16 or whatever, 15, and going to La Masia and failing, and now they're just – they have nothing. They have to go back to their country. So having having to not have to worry about that here, it's, I mean, that's an amazing thing. Yeah, and I think it's a great advantage, too, for talent. And you could tell a parent, family member, and they're, you know, looking to look them in the eye and tell them that your kid's future is more than just sport. It's about yeah. – being a well-rounded person absolutely. and that's a great advantage I absolutely think. absolutely been and one of the things i was touching on before is my dream really is that you you know in the u.s what's valued most with families is education in college okay everyone pretty much goes to college um, but then when an 18 year old has an opportunity to go pro for example it's a big it's a big decision because if he goes pro and doesn't make it then he can't go back to college he can't play college soccer and he's got to invest in his education if he goes to college it's a good option, but he's four years guaranteed, but he's only playing one out of four years. So then that, that decision oftentimes becomes college soccer because it's the safer bet. So what I want to try to do, and I have some meetings about this, is I want to have a partnership with an educational institution nearby. I have a concept and, and a meeting about it, but to where we're providing their education even at OCB level. So, you know, a compensation package may be you live on campus you get meals, you train 10 months, and we pay for your education with a little bit of pocket money every month. The idea is not you're being a pro to make money. You're being a pro to learn how to be a pro. You're being a pro. You're basically going to get, instead of you have a full scholarship to uh, University of Virginia or a full scholarship to play OCB. And so then wow. it's much more powerful this way because then parents will say, you know what, I'm going to allow you to go chase your dream because I know you're still getting your education. Also, if we're scouting college, which is a very good ground to recruit for OCB, maybe not the first team of MLS yet um, because they're just not prepared. But you can take a kid that's maybe in his second year and you can say, hey, we really like you to play for OCB. You know, the question then becomes, well, are you going to give up your education? No, we're going to we're going to pick up where you left off. So the idea being that maybe you take an 18-year-old, you put him in college. After two years, he gets his two-year degree. Then he's with the first team, so he has a degree. If he can continue and he wants to, fine. If not, he's at least studied in college two years. Because I've been around many players that have played with me. The last thing that a professional player wants to do when they're finished is go to college. 
And they're very thankful if they're chipping away at their degree to the point where when it's over, I only got two years left or I only got one semester left or I got one more year left instead of four. And then they, you're helping them along the way, which is our mission here of building people. You're helping them along the way become better people, education, and also get challenge and get their dream to be a pro. I think that's amazing because I think American players have been at a disadvantage because yes. they try to go to school or their parents want them to have an yes. education. And especially a lot of the the big academies in the U.S. are affluent kids. So their parents are like, you have to go to this school. So I did. So they're like, well, everyone should be like pull the and just not go to, not go to college. But not every, not every parent wants that. No. And here you don't have to make that. That's Sophie's choice, so to that's speak. Right. That's right. And it's a difficult decision because I would say – Everyone here, if you had the choice, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to be a professional soccer player, they would choose a professional soccer player. But you have to be careful when you're dealing with kids to make sure you're taking care of the others. You have a responsibility and a duty to take care of their education and provide that for them to make sure. They may not like it at first, but they'll appreciate it in the end of the day. And I think it fits, that, that idea fits perfectly at this school because we have educational facilities, we have tutors, we have classrooms, we have advisors that can also help these kids continue their college education as well. I have a, uh, just about, because I found this really awesome when we were walking outside, was you brought out the point that we have the U12, everybody, I mean, basically the entire, from U12 to the U17 to the OCB now, uh, and you pointed out that to you, that was that was very important to, to have everything here, yes. you know, so that way, if you have two guys on the U17 team that are roommates and one guy's making his way up, you know, it kind of gives the other guy motivation. Can you explain, not only because of that, but, but why... It was important to you to have everything housed in one roof. I think when you talk about uh, young players and their dreams, you want to provide an atmosphere where they can see that it's actually attainable. This is very important to anyone who wants to do anything in life, not just soccer. If you want to be a professional soccer player and you're in Orlando City Development Academy, if the academy, these age groups are in this location and the other age groups are over here and OCB is at the stadium and the first team is over here, the young ones never really see how, is, how can I get there? You know, where is my path? It, when it's all here, say some of the 11-year-old boys that were shaking your hands and they're starting to see people like you come around and they start to see, oh, this is – there's people that are interested. There's Orlando City fans. There's a radio broadcast. There's a – okay. And then they go out to training and they're seeing the 12s are seeing the 13s. The 13s are seeing the 14s. They're all together in the competition days. And, you know, we're doing our best to highlight their results on social media so they feels like a little, little bit of a – accomplishment for sure and then the u19s you know they're seeing these kids go to college and they're doing well and the ultimate is if ocb is here because when ocb is here all these kids are able to see i remember when he was in u19 last year or this semester and now look he's playing in front of three four thousand people for ocb and maybe that boy makes it downtown and when you have that it feeds everybody's motivation from the staff from the kids from the people at Montverde, from the local community, because I think the local community really grasped the fact that OCB is now for a younger generation of future stars for Orlando City. So they feel part of their journey to when a kid comes maybe from 13 all the way through and he makes it downtown, you have local people in the town that come to games and say, I remember when he started when he was 18 or 19. It gives everyone a little bit more sense of uh, ownership over the process. Yeah. And I think when you have that and that internal motivation, it really will get the results a lot quicker and a lot more efficient. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of these kids that are here that are in the development academy and are in the younger SEMA teams and stuff like that, the ones that live on campus, I would imagine 
they're going to go to every OCB game. Exactly. And watch. And it's going to be like the role models, exactly. basically. Yep. And then the ones on OCB, when they're seeing guys from their teammates, they're moving on to the first team. It's, right. it's, it's something to fight for. Yes. And it's it's something that Alex had brought up on our, on our few podcasts ago. And I had never thought about that myself. That, you know, th- there should be something to... There should be. They can see if they're on campus. They they have that light yes. at the end of the tunnel, right there on campus. Yep. So it's you know they they know to keep fighting. That's right. And we and it's our duty uh, as a staff of OCB, and I've instructed the staff. We must believe in the youth. It makes no sense if we're going to have all this, and we play OCB with older players that maybe are not good enough anymore for MLS or whatever. We have to believe that our 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, we are going to put them on the field. We're going to train them the best possible way we can, and we're going to build talents through development. Will we win every game? I don't know. Is it the objective? Anytime you play, you want to win. But at the same time, we as a staff must believe in the concept and say, yes, this boy is in the national team. We believe he's good enough, and we're not afraid to play him, even though he's 16 going up against a 27-year-old wow. for Tormenta. Wow. Will he succeed? He's going to have to. And if he doesn't, wow. we know he's not ready. And this is the idea that we must believe in our own model, and we do, and we will. Yeah. This is how you guys beat River Plate that time, right? Yes. Oh, that's that was awesome. <laughs> I, didn't know what to, I didn't know what to do after the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been surreal. They're like, no, the just... next week the, the striker got sold for $30 million in, in the, for, the German Bundesliga. The River, yeah. But yes, that played against us. They played, wow. Yeah. That's and, we, and, and the guy who scored the winner arrived the night before on a plane. He hadn't slept at all, and we put him in for the last 30 minutes, and he scored the game winner. But our youngest on the field was 14. He, he must have not slept that night either. Nah, I, I was like, do you realize what just happened? We just came here from Africa, from Kenya, and you scored the game winning goal against River Plate's first team. Do you realize what you've just done? And he's like, I don't know. he's like, who? And they, they they didn't want to shake their hands after the game. They just went straight to the, and I, the kids are like, we shake hands. And I was like, just go. We're we're you know, don't celebrate. Don't don't. Do, we're just we're just get out of here. I'm gonna try. And River then they Plate came to me the, the next day. They said the coach said, hey, you, we want to play again tomorrow. And I said, I'm sorry, we're you know we're busy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hold on to this one yeah. for at least a year. Yeah. We'll play you next year. One, That's hilarious. One question. Going yeah. to, uh, no, he wanted to get some some sense. Surprise! Yes, right. right. That the players were like, yeah. we, we didn't really take them seriously. We'll, we'll get them tomorrow. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and I, I said, like, no, no, genius move no, by no. you. We're, we're busy doing something else. <laughs> going to the going to the the Montverd, going to the Montverd team. Uh, what's the there's they're still currently on that streak. Of, yes. I heard it was like eight years or something. Yes, yes. Uh, eight year winning streak, unbeaten. Yeah. How are you not frightened out of your skin every time we're about to line up? Because I know me, I will be, I will be, I'm very superstitious. I'm surprised you're not. Oh, this today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day. Jumping over the (laughs) table. We're going to lose today. Today's the day. How how nervous are you before every game? None. You have zero. Nothing. (laughs) You know why we win games? Why? Because we don't worry about winning. Wow. I don't. We win. We win games because we worry about the process of developing every single day. And when you do that, the winning happens. If you put the pressure on the winning, it's too much for the players to handle, and they will lose. But if you, ne- we never talk about winning the streak. We must win tomorrow. This is a must-win game. We 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 worry about training every day, doing the right things. We put them under severe pressure and stress to make sure that they're in an environment where they're going to struggle. And then when they get out, it's much like college. A lot of the guys in in, in the SEMA program, when they play against our SEMA Gold Group or SEMA top level team, it's better than many colleges. So when they go to college soccer, this is this is, I'm I'm all right. I'm good. 
you know, and this is where the production comes because the, the, the level here and the challenge is so high and they don't even realize it until they leave. And then when they go to an ACC school or they go out to – then they succeed because they're like, okay, I, I'm ready for this. But we never talk about winning. We never talk about the streak. And, you know, for me, I think, you know, the, the – it's nice, but winning is not everything. Winning – I'm more – I'm much happier with the results of our kids going on to do great things in college and pro. And, yeah, we want to win. I'm, I'm a very competitive guy. But we win because we don't worry about winning. Well, we can uh... – I'm I'm kind of interested in these last questions that Cleon had, but uh, to wrap it up, I know we kind of want to see if we can get some hints out of you about the development of, of OCB. I mean, any sort of preliminary talks or plans maybe to uh, to bring back any SEMA or Montverde kids to, to be on the team next year? Right now, I think, you know, first of all, I want to clear up that there's been no players signed. Um, we have not officially signed any players. Um, the first announcement will be um, the coach. Um and um, for sure, uh, we have ideas of how a roster will look like. But I think it's important that, you know, the fans and, and, and Orlando City fans understand that in order to make the proper roster at this level, you, it's not just going to be all 15-year-old kids, you know, running around the field. Uh, that's, that's not, you know, that's not really the case. You want to have a right mix of very young player talents with sort of that 18 to 22 range and your veterans like you would consider maybe 24 you know to where a kid is a relatively young in mls but he's older on the age where maturity wise in the locker room you can provide some leadership when you're going up against i'm sure other teams are going to be hiring 28 30 year old guys men because they want to win the league and so you have to have the right mix you know and of course you have your international talents how are you going to use those you know, are they kids that you know of? Are they kids you're going to scout? Are they kids you're scouting in college? Of course, you have some of the academy kids we have discussed that we believe in, that we think are going to. The beautiful thing is even if you hire or you sign a 15-, 16-year-old kid, he can still play in the academy even if he doesn't star for you on the weekend. You know, so even if a 15-year-old has a contract with OCB, he can still go and play on the weekend in the U-17s if we don't need him in the game okay i didn't know that yeah so it's a very big advantage you can use to be able to bring him in for ocb games if you if you need him if you maybe have a different game plan you can put him in u17s um of course your international spots are very important because you know those are ones where you need to get it right you know you need to do a lot of research you need to get it right and of course we have a plethora of of international talents but you know we're not just going to take kids because we have a relationship with them or i know them or i've coached them for two years we need to make the right decisions based on the concept which is we need the first team to be looking at ocb and saying we legitimately can see six seven eight nine ten kids in the future of our first team to have consideration this is the goal. And that means that, you know, some kids may be academy kids. Some kids may have gone to Montverde. Some kids may have gone to Okoe High School. I don't know. Some kids come from Syracuse. I, I don't know. But right now, I'm going through an extensive process of scouting. Um, we leave for Brazil tomorrow. We're going to visit two professional clubs there to see, you know, some some things there. Um, you know, I'm continuing to look. But the idea is to find the very best 25 players we can find that fits the model you know, which is education and sport. You know, there may be fantastic players, but they're going to want $10,000 a month, and you got to say, sorry, that's not, that's not our model, and that's fine. But people that understand that it's our goal to get you to the first team, 
and you're not going to be a millionaire playing for this team, but you're going to play 10 months of professional soccer, and you're going to get coached properly in the right environment to get to the next level. So that's the concept. I think that, yes, you will see some players signed from the academy um, for sure. Probably we'll see some players that have gone to Montverde or been part of the SEMA program. And then you're going to see some kids maybe from the academy before the partnership happened that have been doing really good things in college. And you'll see some kids that never played for Orlando City before, but we feel they're good enough. So, you know, but it's our job to get the mix of players correct because soccer is very, you know, it's you have to do it of the roster selection very correct according to what you're given, your international spots, your goalkeepers, your, you know, your strikers, your center backs. What ages are those players? What level of experience do they need to have? And then build it that way. And this new OCB, will it help more, too, for, like, the super draft? Like, you know, maybe not your top draft pick, but going down the – maybe, you know, maybe the first-round draft picks. But going, top this year. going to the second round, third round is, you know. And, and that's part of what we were talking about before, the collaboration between James and Nikki and myself to figure out, okay, here's what our draft is looking like. Here's who's available and, you know, how are we going to operate together to where maybe they take a draft pick uh, that they know is not ready for the first team, but we've already discussed that, and maybe he's going to be one of our main guys for the second team That's or it, the yeah. OCB team. And and we can work together in, in planning that so it makes more sense to say, you know what, we really like this player. We already have this player in the first team, but, you know, one to two years at OCB, and he should be ready. And then we are obviously planning our roster according to what that is and working together to make it the best we can. Perfect. Cleon, anything? I think you got it covered. Eddie? I just wanted to say that I think one of the frustrations with for a lot of fans is we're just not seeing, like, the future. We're seeing hope, right? That's been a lot of – we're getting a lot of questions about is it, is it just Flavio in for the money? Is he investing in the future? Are they investing in the team? What do we have to look forward to? And after all of this, speaking with Alex and speaking with you, I feel great about it. I feel like it, we went from, you know, who knows what our academy was to probably you know the top just just from the get go, just from what you already have in place, and just the, just the thoughts and ideas you've brought forth, and just the history of success, I'm really excited about it. I just wanted to say that. I and I can tell you, I can tell you the honest truth that uh, the one person that really wanted this all was Flavio. Yeah. And you know he he wants what's best for the club he believes in the club he believes that this is the right way to do it i agree with him we've had a lot of conversations directly uh, about what the possibilities would be why it would work how it would work and so i think that you know from an investment standpoint he is investing a lot of money into this club i think that some of these you know restructures of how the youth is going to operate is going to be more along the lines of what you see in europe and south america of of having the different levels and lines of development with the right personnel and coaching to where you know somebody was asking me actually the other day they said you know well when do you think we can see a first team player and my response would be after one season of ocb i would I would say that we should have at least three players that should be in consideration for the first team the following year. So as many as we've had ever the entire time. And and that's and that's because I know what we're, I know the level we're working at. I know what's what we have already here. I know what's in the academy and I know with proper work and proper training in the right environment what can happen. Now, they may not decide that it's the right the right fit for the team at that time, but there should be at least three players. They say, these are seriously considered. We need to think about if we sign up for the first team. I mean, like for example, like now, like local media or even like us as a podcast fan podcast or, you know, other groups that follow Orlando city, there's no, there's not even a, 
a, a list that you can come up with, you know, of, of guys that would be considered next year for, you know, in the academy right now, or, or and that's I just do. something that we've never had. That, like you're saying, will will help to will help for the future. You know, we'll be able to generate names of, of kids that you can actually put faces to the name. And people are here, following them. Yeah, watch them perform, you know. And, and I think that's the draw on the unique nature of OCB, right? So if you, if for example, the three of you guys are, are our special guests on the first, uh, the first game and you're actually watching the future and you can track them and, and maybe you can't make it, you can see it on live stream or on ESPN Plus and you can watch every week. Okay, I'm going to watch the first team. Let me watch what OCB is doing. Let me see how this player is doing because I think in time he'll be there. It, it gauges you more as a fan to say, I, I know, I'm ready. I'm wait- I did this, not that I'm saying, I, I remember when my wife, she, uh, when we first moved here in 2010, she turned on, a, she's from Brazil, and she turned on a Santos game, and she said, this boy everyone's talking about is going to be the next, you know, whole Naldo phenomenon. I was like, okay, who is it? It was Neymar. And every Sunday I watched Neymar. And at the beginning I was like, eh, he's good. Then, you know, as each game I just was watching Santos games because I wanted to see this young talent. And then, of course, the rest is history. But, you know, that's the idea that we have kids that are fun to watch. The game is exciting. It's a good way of playing. But you're excited to say, I hope this kid gets to the, you know, I want this kid to get downtown. And you're behind it. This is more of an engagement in the community and the youth sector, which, again, I will only motivate the entire community to get to the first team. Yeah, I think that, uh, like, when OCB originally came on after the first season in MLS, that's what everybody like that's myself. I, I would tune into OCB games and go, well, let's see who the next talent is. Yeah. I know there's nobody in the stands. I know it's USL, but I don't care if we win the game. I don't care if we lose by five. I just want to see what we have yeah. coming up. And then, you know, when you start seeing guys like Luke Bowden, Lewis Neal, you know, these guys get sent down to USL who, you know, obviously it's not like they're going down to, to be productive or, or they have a chance to go to Europe or, or that we're going to make massive number of, of, of profit off of selling them. It was just to, to, to holster them down there. And, you know, as you start to see that as a fan, you're just like, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it looks like now that's really that old way. Is yeah, because if you and, think about that model, for example, you, you know, we have this, you know, where, you know, we had Deco and Yomeni who were in OCB two years ago. So these boys are talented Cameroonian internationals that were with us for three years, and they were flying. I mean, we were beating teams here at a good level, Flamengo and some of the others. They went into OCB, and they're talented 18-year-olds. What do they need? Games. Yeah. And so what would happen is, you know, they would train every week, and then when the games would come, they would send the first-team guys down. So then, of course, the frustration for a young player is, why am I training all week when on the weekend I know I'm not going to play? And then you look at the the players from the first team. You have to understand that they're first team players. Do they really want to play no. in a stadium with nobody there and in, in an OCB game for minutes? So then what's their motivation? And they haven't even trained with the team for the week, so they don't even maybe know the game plan is set. So then what happens is the fans go and the result suffers, and then they're like, well, we aren't even winning. So you're taking away from the development of the youth. You're adding players that really may or may not care, and then the fans who want to see good product don't see it because it it doesn't make sense. It was like not only are we losing, but we're losing with half of our first-team squad. And then you kind of say, well, what's going on? And so It felt pointless. It felt like, what's the point of this? And so you know, the idea was really it was just a different structure and a different idea that let's get them fitness minutes so they can rejoin. And when we need them for the first team, they haven't dropped and dipped so much fitness-wise that they're useless on the weekend when we really need them. That's that's a fine concept, and many teams do that. Um, But I think what the ownership is wanting to do is totally restructure to build everything going up. 
And I yeah. think with that, you'll start to see big results coming rather quickly if we believe in the system. Uh, you know, <coughs> I think that's great. And since, so- since soccer is so much based on age, you uh, you 17 and so forth, you don't see like you see in American football, like um, JV to varsity or whatever. So having like OCB on here, it's almost like that varsity yes. component. Yes, right? absolutely. And, and I grew up watching a lot of minor league baseball, and I look back and I saw Pedro Martinez. I saw Juan Gonzalez. And then you see them, you're like, man, I remember when they were 17, 18, 19. And it's so much cooler when you see them as pros because they were right in front of you. The access is incredible. Everyone talks about the USL days. I was intimate and you get to know them. That's what you yearn for and come back here to Mount Verde and you can have the same thing with OCB. That's right. Because they'll be there accessible and it's going to be intimate and nice. That's the idea. Awesome. Yeah. One last question for me. Um, As far as uh, the general manager position for OCB, um, are you it? Like... uh, are you just complete control, or how, do, how does that work as far um, as OCB goes? Yeah, and, and as far as OCB, like I think yeah, I think that you know I'm the one eventually that makes the decisions who 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 we sign. Um, you know, our scouting network is me, <laughs> and w- our coaches are also heavily involved in scouting. You know, we have a, we have a system of scouting of international and national players, especially the college game, because I do think there are we are of course following kids that have gone from the academy that are in big schools and following their progress. Um, you know, I'm going to do quite a bit of traveling. Of course, I have a lot of relationships with people around the world because of doing the SEMA work, it, it's quite easy to be able to go places and, and, and watch players. And we just need another another profile of player than we were working at before. But, you know, the idea being that Montverde and and the DA and OCB is entirely under our um, – in this way, I'm in charge of signing the players. Um, of course, we have conversations with Nikki. We have conversation with James of what profile players they're looking for, which, of course, we need to take into account and mm-hmm. what type of center backs they're looking for, what type of strikers and wingers are they looking for. You know, what's the characteristics of goalkeepers they're looking for? Because then, you know, we're not just going on our own and saying this is our team. We're trying to make it, you know, symmetric to what exactly they're looking for as well. But they're scouting more so for the first team and first team operations, and ours is from the youth all the way down. So basically, they, as far as their involvement, all it really is is what type of player they want you to find. That's right. Exactly. That's right. What type of player we're going to find, and we may not always find that type of player, mm-hmm. but uh, you know we're going to do our best to try to find the best solution we can okay. for it. Awesome. Well, anybody else from anybody? I think uh, Eddie's good. Cleon's good. Mike, I just want to uh, I want to thank you. I think we all want to thank you here from our listeners to us and JJ who's not here for giving us the time. I think we've taken more than than what we even thought we were going to take. Uh, you have some fantastic um, everything here. I mean, Montverde is is more than I could ever ever imagine. I never came out here. I'm, I'm thank you so much for the tour. Uh, thank you for everything that you're doing for Orlando City, kind of giving us an insight, and hopefully we'll be able to. Have you back on I would love soon to. enough? I would love to be on, and I really appreciate you guys you know, taking the time out of your busy schedule to come here to visit us. You're welcome anytime, and I hope that uh, I hope the very first game you guys are in the front row and uh, we will seeing, seeing what it's all about. But I think once people start to get out and see what it is and see, see what's on the field, because I can tell you that it will be exciting soccer. You can see very, very good players at very young ages that – their energy and their motivation is so high that it's it's just you want to go watch the games and you know the, the fun thing too is that because we're a school of 1300 you got to think 1300 kids at the school 365 kids that live here 
204 SEMA kids, six DA programs on top of all the faculty staff. Right there, you're talking at least 1,000, 2,000 people. That's before any of the local community. So the idea is hopefully that we have three, 4,000 people a game. So the atmosphere is intimate, but it's also really energetic and fun because then, you know, it'll be really an entertaining event to go to for families and people who are fans that want to see the future of Orlando City. And like I said, it'll help build that culture for the young kids to go to the games and say, I want to play here. That's right. You know, this is where I want to be. If we're loud and, and supporting them here, they're like, imagine how it's going to feel downtown. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's right. And yeah, you, you got a lot of parents that are going to come too. Yeah. And so forth. Because yeah. I live in this area, you could tell who, whose kids go here because of the magnets. <laughs> <laughs> so you could always tell. So, no, that's great. Thanks yeah. a lot, Mike. This well, is mind blowing to me, actually. And I'm at a great time. Well, awesome. thanks, Mike. Uh, good luck in Brazil. Thank you. Tra- travel safe. Uh, we appreciate your time again. And thanks for listening, guys, here at Orlando Lions Den Podcast. See you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Orlando Lions Den Podcast. Until next time, be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook and at OrlandoLionsDen.com.